Hello, my fellow geoscience aficionados. You are listening to Nice Chats from the Geology Podcast Network. I am Dr. B, and in each episode, I will interview an expert in various areas of geoscience and share with you a little bit of their knowledge and expertise in the research of natural problems. Each of our episodes has a central theme, and since we'll have an expert walk us through the various subjects, you don't need to worry about having any previous knowledge of what we'll be talking about. As long as you're passionate about the study of geosciences, I, with the help of our guest and occasional co-host, will take care of feeding you all the information you need in a casual and fun environment. Today I'm interviewing Professor Claudio Scarpati from the University of Naples, Federico II. Or due, I don't know. Him and his former PhD student Nikos Parice have kindly guided us through the area around Napoli when I went on a field trip across Italian volcanoes with Professor Antonio Gilberto Costa. I particularly remember how Claudio changed all the misconceptions I had regarding the eruption that decimated Pompeii, and I hope he will do the same for you today. Let's welcome him. Yes, Dr. B. Sorry, what? <laughs> yes, uh, so thank you so much, Claudio, for uh, joining us today. The voice that you heard at the beginning, that's my lovely co-host, Silvia Volante. Silvia, say hello to our listeners. Hello, listener. I'm thrilled today to be joining Dr. B and uh, Professor Claudio Scarpati and to hear more about the geological and history story of Fontaine. So, Claudio, um, before we get into the show, just... Explain to me something, because obviously in the introduction, I didn't know if it was University of Naples Federico II or Federico II. Yeah, second. Perfect. Oh, second. Okay. And that's the only university in Naples? or is No, there, there, are, there are several universities, but this is the most important. Uh, is one of the most uh, ancient uh, universities in, in Europe, more than 700 uh, years old. So it's mm -hmm. very very uh, famous, uh, and we have uh, many thousands of uh, students. Oh, okay, got it. Um, so, Claudio, today, before we get into the story of Pompeii, I prepared a little game for us to play just to break the ice. We usually do that in our podcast. Uh, there are some listeners that prefer to skip this part and go straight to the interview. So what we've started doing um, is listing the timestamp Uh, for the end of the game in the show notes. And if you want to skip ahead, then you can just go to that uh, to that timestamp. But uh, in this game, this is how it's the game is going to work. I'll give you the formal name of a geological unit, and you need to tell me the location I'm speaking of. Pretty much just the country, let's say. Okay, I will try. <laughs> um, this... <laughs> yeah, it's okay, because uh, what is what is going to happen is, first, I'll give you the name. If you know it, you can answer already. If you don't, then I'll give you some um, some clues to help you get there. Okay. And um, these units, they are famous either because they contain a famous rock or mineral, or because they are part of some famous geological feature. Um, so let's start with the first famous unit. Now, this is hard because... Sometimes we know about these rocks and places, but not necessarily the formal name of the unit. Uh, and the first one is, let's see if you get this one, the Massa unit. Massa unit? It famously contains an iconic metasedimentary rock 
within its sequence. Okay? The massa unit varies between Paleozoic and Triassic. And now this is the most important part. The massa unit is the birthplace of Davide de Michelangelo. Is it Italy? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yes, exactly. Of course. The massa unit is the one that contains the Carrara marble. Yes. The, the most famous marble yeah. in the world. Very well used done. in many, many buildings in Italy, but also in some many other countries. Yes, exactly. definitely. Mm -hmm. um, okay, the, the other one I prepared is the Ancar group. Now, this one I don't really expect you to know because I also didn't know when I was researching. So I'll just jump straight into the clues and see if we can figure this out. So the Ancar group accumulated approximately between 1250 and 1104 million years. So about 1.1 billion years ago, wow. <laughs> uh, which makes it Mesoproterozoic. That doesn't really narrow it down because there are so many rocks of that age. However, the Ankar group has an angular unconformity that separates the base of the overlying rocks from the Ankar group. And it is basement to what is called the Great Unconformity. Now, this is the last piece of information I'm going to give you. This should make it pretty easy to guess. I'll just give our listeners some time to see if they, if they can come up with the answer. Now, the final clue is it is part of the Grand Canyon Supergroup. Okay, I think uh, United States. Perfect. That made it easy, right? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Yeah, so the Ankar group is actually the one that marks the great unconformity within the Grand Canyon. Yeah. And we have actually recorded an episode of Nice Chat where we discussed this uh, great unconformity at length with uh, Rebecca Flowers. And uh, it's called uh, the Rebecca Trilogy Part 3, where we talk about thermochronology. If our listeners want to go back and listen to that, it's a really good show. The last time I met Claudio was so long ago, I'm not even sure if I remember all the story of Pompeii. So I'm also super curious to hear it. Let's go! If you have ideas for future episodes or guests, please write to our email nicechats at gmail.com. Please subscribe to Nice Chats and also give us a five-star review. Okay, Claudio, so let's start with the easy part. Where is Pompeii located? Okay, Pompeii is uh, actually is a small town, uh, 10 kilometers from south of Vesuvius, and uh, is uh, in the Roman time was in the same place, but all the town uh, was located on a lava flow, so it was 30 meters above the sea level. Uh, Pompeii is uh, uh, in a Plain. So the the uh, the Roman built this town uh, on this small hill to have uh, from from this hill they can uh, look at the the territory around the, the hill. It was a very uh, easy place to live because there was uh, around there was a very 
uh, fertile plain with a river. They built an harbor, so uh, there, there were the condition to to build a very prosperous town. Okay, but uh, nowadays it's no longer a town, right? It's just like an archaeological site. Okay, there is a modern Pompeii uh, just oh. around the, 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 the archaeological park and there is uh, some parts that are closed, that, that, that are the archaeological park uh, and uh, where, where you can find the ruins of the Roman uh, time. Okay. And these ruins, when and how were they discovered? Oh, this is a long story because uh, uh, every town, every uh, villa, uh, every Roman road uh, were buried in the first century AD uh, due to the famous uh, Vesuvius eruption. And uh, so uh, everything disappeared after the eruption. The, the, the towns were completely buried up, uh, under tens of meters of volcanic materials. So we know from the Roman, the Latin maps that there were some uh, towns around the Vesuvius, as Herculaneum, uh, as Pompeii, as Stabia. But for 17 centuries, uh, well, they were completely missing, completely uncovered. Uh, just in the 18th century, uh, during the dig of a well, some workmen find uh, 20 meters under the surface the, some statues, some Roman statues. A uh, few years uh, after, in the 1738, the king of Naples, Charles of Bourbon, start the excavation of this uh, spot, of this location, uh, uh, excavating some, with some workmen, of course, some other uh, tunnels. They found uh, an amphitheater with some other Roman uh, roads. So they uh, understood that they were in a colonium. And mm -hmm. in the, uh, 1748, some other workmen uh, found some frescoes, some uh, walls in, in a place that is now Pompeii. So they started to excavate this new uh, location. And they were very lucky because they found an inscription with the, the word Pompeii. So they understood that they were in Pompeii. And they move from Colanum to Pompeii to start uh, this adventure, this excavation. This is because Herculaneum mm -hmm. uh, has been uh, buried under 30 meters of tuff. So it's not easy to reach the, the Roman uh, roads from the surface. And Pompeii has been buried only uh, by six meters of loose volcanic materials. So, so it was much easier to excavate Pompeii than Herculaneum. In fact, actually, two-thirds 
of Pompeii are excavated, one third is still under the volcanic deposit. On the contrary, uh, we know just one third of Herculaneum because it's very difficult to remove all the tuff from the, the top of the Roman city, but also because the modern Ercolano stay above the ancient one. So you have to, oh, wow. to remove the population, the buildings, and uh, make the excavation. So this is very, very difficult. Mm, of course. Yeah, you mentioned also that you knew, we knew from maps that these cities existed during the Roman time. And another very helpful source of information, as far as I know, is are the um, accounts from Pliny the Younger. Yes. Who is Pliny the Younger? Pliny the Younger is a very important person if you want to study Vesuvius, uh, its uh, eruption and so on, because he's the first volcanologist in the, in the history. He wrote two famous letters to the historical Roman Tacitus, uh, many years after the eruption, 25 years after the eruption, to uh, describe the, the event, but essentially to describe the, the death of his uncle, Pliny the Elder. So we have two Pliny in this story. The uncle, Pliny the Elder, and the nephew, Pliny the Younger. Uh, Pliny the Younger was from North Italy, and uh, when he uh, when he was uh, 17 years old, uh, his uh, father died, and he moved to his uncle that was uh, in Misenum, so in, near Naples, uh, was uh, the, the brother of his mother. Pliny uh, the Younger was a very famous person in that time. He was the commander of the Roman imperial fleet that was near Naples there, not in Rome, but near Naples there, where there is some natural harbor that can uh, save the, the, the Roman fleet. So he has a, a, a house at Misenum. Misenum is a, a small volcano uh, west of Naples, inside the Campi Flegrei. Campi Flegrei is the other large volcano that stay around Naples, not just Vesuvius at east, but also a volcanic, an active volcanic field at west. At, uh, uh, and uh, Pliny the Elder was there, so was uh, also Pliny the Younger there, and uh, the date is still debated, but possibly in August or possibly in October, the day is sure is the 24th of the 70, uh, 79 uh, after Domini. The, we know from the letter of Pliny the Younger that the eruption began and uh, both the, the Pliny saw the eruption from uh, their home that uh, is 20 kilometers at least from, from Vesuvius. And uh, initially they saw like a smoke, like uh, some uh, smoke rising from a far point that they didn't recognize. Then they uh, know that uh, was the Vesuvius 
And they saw the starting of the eruption with uh, what which, um, uh, the, the description is very, very interesting because Pliny described uh, uh, the shape of the eruptive column like uh, a pine tree, a Mediterranean pine tree. A Mediterranean pine tree has a vertical trunk that is uh, our uh, eruptive column and then have uh, expand in an umbrella region that are the branches of the, the, the tree. So the description is mm -hmm. very uh, accurate. You have to think that the description came from uh, a boy of 17 with no training in scientific uh, uh, subject, uh, but was very smart to recognize uh, all the main phenomena that occurred during the, the eruption. So the story continues with Pliny the Elder, uh, mm -hmm. that was a scientist. He wrote uh, the Naturalis Historia. The Naturalis Historia is the encyclopedia of the Roman time. In 37 books, he wrote everything from uh, minerals to geography. So he was very curious. And so he decided to take a boat, okay, he's as the Roman fleet, <laughs> so take and move toward the Vesuvius. But before he moved from Misenum, a messenger came from the towns near the Vesuvius, from his friend Rectina, asking for help. Uh, in fact, the population living on the coast, they have the Vesuvius, the erupting Vesuvius behind and the sea in front of them. So they cannot escape from the volcano. So they ask uh, Pliny for help. So Pliny in that moment decided to change his idea, not go there just with one boat, but take some large uh, ships and try to rescue the Roman population. And, and this is very important, he asked his nephew, Pliny the Younger, to join him to this uh, voyage, to this adventure. But here there, we uh, know of a very strange uh, 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 Pliny the Younger said simply that he has homework to do, so he preferred to remain at home. And uh, this is very important because the, the uncle died during this expedition, but the nephew mm -hmm. survived the eruption and was able to mm -hmm. write uh, the letters that are very important for us. Yeah, so basically Pliny the Young, he survived because he was a stubborn teenager. Yeah, yeah. Was, uh, <laughs> we, we, we can say this, uh, that uh, he was uh, a nerd, he preferred to stay at home <laughs> and uh, look from, from uh, that uh, place. Uh, mm -hmm. And in fact, the two letters are different because in the first letter, uh, he described what happened to his uncle. In the second, so near the Vesuvius, in the second letter, he described what happened to himself so at Campi Flegrei. So these are 
So we have a, a description of the proximal and distal phenomena that occurred during the 79 eruption. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so obviously we know that a lot of people have died in this eruption. Uh, what I can't really understand is, um, like, when I see a volcanic eruption in TV, you know, I imagine, like, Dante's Inferno, you know, like, the lava's coming down the mountain, it's like, you know, running through the streets and just destroying everything in its path, burning everything down. Yeah. Um, we even see some images of that that are not from Hollywood, but, like, from Hawaii or even Etna. How come, then, Pompeii is actually preserved and not completely destroyed? Yeah, because uh, this is a good question, because the, the, there are a lot of different types of eruption, and essentially we can define two main types, effusive eruption and explosive eruption. In a way, at Etna, we have essentially, not only, but essentially effusive eruption. During that kind of eruption, the magma simply move toward the, the, the surface, and when it reaches the surface, uh, flow down, uh, very uh, slow uh, and uh, and cover the surface and uh, buried everything that uh, meet meets part, but it's a very slow process. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, during explosive eruption, what happened is completely different. The magma rising in the conduit has a lot of gas inside and is more, much more viscous. This means that when the pressure decreases, you have to think that the magma usually stay in a magma chamber some kilometers or 10 or kilometers under the surface, so with a huge pressure on the, on the liquid, on the magma, so the gases stay in solution inside the liquid, like the uh, CO2, in the in the in the coke okay when you have a bottle of coke of the champagne you have a, a gas inside but you don't see the gas because the pressure is uh, high and the gas is in solution inside the liquid but when you open the bottle the pressure become the 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 ambient pressure and is not enough to, to have uh, the, 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 the gas inside the liquid, so the gas exsolve, form bubbles, and uh, you have the foam, okay, in, 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 the, in the cocoa, in the champagne. In the, in the magma, the physics is the same. When the magma rises, the, the, the gas that essentially is water uh, escape from the, the, the solution, form bubbles, if the, the magma is viscous, the bubbles cannot move, can, cannot escape, remain trapped inside the magma. More gas mm -hmm. exsolve, the pressure inside the bubbles increases and increases, and when the magma is very close to the surface, uh, each bubbles explode. So you have an explosive eruption. This fragment your magma, so you have a lot of pieces, small pieces that we call pyroclasts, and the mixture of gas and pyroclast uh, is uh, move 
at very high velocity, 100 meters per second in the, in the atmosphere, and then can form the eruptive column that Pliny described. When the eruptive column reaches the high uh, level in the atmosphere, uh, expand and from this uh, uh, cloud, fragments fall on the surface ash or lapilli. These are light fragments that cover everything, but are not so heavy to destroy everything. So they preserve, partially destroy, but essentially preserve. This is the reason why we can look at Pompeii when we made the excavation, we find everything, every object of their life perfectly preserved. They were simply covered by this soft, Material, so uh, the the very they, these towns are unique, especially Pompeii. I will explain why. Especially Pompeii because mm -hmm. they are covered by several meters of this soft pumice material that preserved everything for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. I was curious to know if in this letter uh, there is any mentioning on um, how long did it take to actually form this six meters or so of this tough material? Yeah, the, the, yes. This is one of the main information that we can uh, have from the letters because uh, we have the, the timing of the eruption. And so we know that the first phase of the eruption, when all these pumice accumulated on Pompeii, lasted 19 hours. While the second phase of the eruption, that was much more destructive, because there was a, an evolution in the, in the eruptive mechanism, and the, the column, eruptive column, collapsed, forming uh, something that we call uh, pyroclastic currents. Pyroclastic currents uh, as a sort of avalanches of hot uh, uh, volcanic materials uh, and uh, gases that move very uh, at high velocity on the surface uh, and uh, destroy everything on their path uh, because of the high temperature high kinetic energy uh, and uh, and uh, so is the are very dangerous and we uh, have several of these pyroclastic current during the course of the 79 eruption and in Pompeii uh, the second day okay the eruption started at the 24th the 25th uh, there were several of these pyroclastic current that uh, arrived in 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 the, in the city and destroy everything on, on their path. But fortunately, three meters of the building were still protected by the soft pumice. So the upper part mm -hmm. of the building has been almost completely cut, removed by the impact of the pyroclastic current. But the lower part of the building. Uh, uh, is still well preserved with all the objects in their original position. So when we made the excavation, we found the kitchen, 
with the stoves, with the spoon, with the table, everything is in the original place. This is all for today's episode. You can probably guess from the title, but we had so many cool things to learn from Claudio that we have decided to make this episode into a two-parter instead of a two-hour long podcast. Tune in in two weeks to hear more about the Vesuvius eruption of 79 AD and to hear Claudio telling us about the amazing casts of victims. This podcast is brought to you by the Geology Podcast Network. GPN is sponsored by Traveling Geologists. Follow Traveling Geologists on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. More episodes of this and other GPN podcasts are available at travelinggeologists.com or wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify.